1: 4-6 with a is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Ohio State ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real-time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. You can also find great deals on Browns, Cavs, and Blue Jackets tickets. It doesn't get any easier than a two-tap checkout. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. The culture's the culture. It's 4 to 6A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State.
2: Welcome back to another episode of 4 to 6 with a and B. am here with Bill Landis. I'm Ari Wasserman. And... In the background of this podcast, we have the Rachel Ray Show on silence,
1: so she's here with us too. Bill, is that your show? I don't know who her special guest is. No, I I, I put on Good Morning America when I wake up and do work in the morning, and then eventually we get into the Kelly Clarkson Show and the Rachel Ray Show, and uh, then I go about my day.
2: Just fun fact about our podcast, guys. I think Rachel Ray is on the television behind me about 65% of the time we're recording this.
1: Well, sometimes um, if Ohio State is playing an interesting game coming up, I'll I'll be watching whoever they're playing, but they're playing Wisconsin again on Saturday, and I don't really feel the need to watch Wisconsin anymore, <laughs> nor do I want to. So, yeah. Rachel
2: Ray it is. I think it's hard to beat a team twice. I don't know if that applies when the reason why they beat them the first time is because they physically just beat the crap out of them. But we're coming out of the Michigan game, and Ohio State did what they've been doing all year, Bill, and I just was thinking on the car right over here because people view us as, or maybe more so me, as the uh, negative man uh, on the beat in terms of being quick to criticize Ohio State when there's times to criticize, and maybe that's fair. I, I do feel like I do that, but we were so positive from the jump once that Cincinnati game happened about this team, and I think that that was telling <laughs> because they've kind of done exactly what we envisioned after that game, right? I mean, like now being here, Ryan Day's undefeated, Uh, So far, as head coach uh, beat Michigan on the road by 100. Ohio State's basically in the playoff, even if they lose Saturday, I think they're in. I mean, this is unbelievable to to actually be sitting here December 2nd on a Monday going into the Big Ten Championship game and just seeing this wasn't even a season that had any... What was the biggest adversity that 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 buzzword adversity that Ohio State had was Chase Young, right? So
1: really tough to lose Chase Young (laughs) (laughs) against Maryland and Rutgers. Yeah, I know, and against
2: teams that, yeah. So we're in a situation now where this is uh, bigger and better things for Ohio State. Real rivals like Clemson could be on deck. Um,
1: Yeah, you're on one about Michigan.
2: I we'll we'll get into that, I guess. But Bill, are you kind of now that? it's all here and in, in the podcast titles named is ohio state better than they've ever been or blow out every game and all the like positive things we've been talking about all year actually came true uh, is it kind of weird that that are you surprised in this moment that it's gotten it's gone this well
1: yeah and and i i'm i don't think i'm a, a pessimistic person but throughout the season and i think i made the joke to you a couple of times we were like we will walk into the woody on a Tuesday. And there'd be a lot of juice in the room. People were excited about the Buckeyes playing well, and I just kept thinking to myself, like, man, this crash, if and when it happens, is going to be the biggest crash I've ever experienced covering Ohio State, just because teams lose. It wasn't that I thought Ohio State was fraudulent or or anything like that, just that teams teams end up losing games, and and Ohio State certainly has lost games that, that we didn't see coming. So I was maybe preparing myself for it a little bit. It never happened. It never really came close to happening. The closest it came was some weird fumbles against Penn State, and like a five-minute juncture against Wisconsin when I think the score was what ten to seven or thirteen to ten or something like that. It's never happened. They never even close to losing, and they just beat the crap out of Michigan last week. And I agree with you. Like barring something crazy, something like losing fifty-nine to nothing, like they won in twenty fourteen to Wisconsin, I think they're in. Even if they lose, it gets a little weird maybe if Georgia beats LSU, but, but I think they're I don't know, they're playing like a ceremonial conference title game this week. I think they're in. They're 12-0. They have a top 10 defense, a top 10 offense. They've, they've beaten everybody they've played by double digits, right? I'm not wrong, right? They, Penn State was 11. 11, right? yeah. Everybody. Everybody they played they beat by double digits. So I am surprised we're here, only because it's looked very easy. And I'm sure Ryan Day would dispute that it's been easy, and I'm sure that it hasn't been easy, but they've made it look very easy, and I can't remember very many teams going through a season like this where they have played a halfway decent schedule and have looked this dominant through 12 games. I'm going to ask you a question. What
2: do you think Ohio State fans care about the most? The Big Ten Championship or beating Michigan? And I know a lot of the times those two come in a package, but...
1: Uh, Beating beating Michigan, I think.
2: Should Ohio State rest their starters <laughs> in the Big Ten championship game? Uh,
1: no. Yeah, no. no I, I, I'm just I'm
2: just being facetious, yeah. but I mean, it's just you're in a situation right now where you're playing a team, and I, I, and I wonder, and I might ask on the call just to kind of mess around this week because on the playoff call, because I ask try I try to ask pointed, rational questions every week, and he just shuts down on me, Rob Mullins. I think I'm going to ask an outrageous question. Like if Ohio State beats was knowing that they don't project into the future, hit them with like four hypotheticals and then say, then what? Yeah. The hypothetical would be, and what if Penn state wins this week? What is that? They don't even play, you know, just like mess with them. Um, But I, I don't know about the direction of, you know, where we want to lead this conversation, but I do think that talking about Michigan is important more so than any team going backward because, you know, our philosophy in journalism and in podcasting is always to spring forward and we'll do that in this podcast. But do you think that this is the one game that deserves a backward look? Because I think,
1: yeah, I think we need to maybe really reset where the rivalry is right now. Yeah,
2: I, and I lost my mind. Anybody who who read final thoughts um, on Sunday this week, but Bill, did you get around to reading that? And if not, where do you think this rivalry is?
1: I, I skimmed it. I didn't read the whole okay. thing because, like we we talked about it. Right, so yeah. the reason I didn't re- I didn't read it all the way through is because we talked about it. and I, I have a pretty good idea of, of where you stand on things. Um, I think I largely agree with you. You know, it's 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 different, and it it does it feels a bit hopeless. Michigan's chances of getting back into it or making this a rivalry where you can legitimately go into a the last saturday november and say to yourself well i don't think ohio state's gonna win this one right now if you say that at this point you just sound ridiculous and it all comes back to talent i know you're very big on that and you, we talked about that when we were on andy staples podcast after the game on saturday i think it goes beyond that i think it's not just talent and i look and i, I pulled these numbers up because i was just curious and maybe it's i don't know flimsy flimsy standing but Ohio State was number three in the talent composite. Michigan State was twenty-three when Michigan State beat them in twenty-fifteen. Penn State was twentieth, and Ohio State was fifth when Penn State beat them in twenty-sixteen. Like because you have lesser talent than the team you're playing, it does not preclude you from beating that team. And Michigan has gone into these games coaching like it knows it has a talent disadvantage and is just like okay with losing. I think it goes beyond the talent disadvantage. So I the think, coaching
2: has been mediocre. In I think your mind. Jim
1: Harbaugh has coached scared in this game. And I thought, you know, Josh Gaddis had a really good plan, I thought, to start against Ohio State's defense. He had the best plan of anybody that, that Ohio State has played this year, and, and it, it was aided by the fact that Sean Wade didn't play. And I've said before how important he is to the defense, and that, that's you shouldn't overlook that. That was a big part in it. But he came out very aggressive. They came out throwing the ball. They came out attacking Ohio State's zone defense. And then they got into the red zone and had no plan to try to finish drives and score touchdowns against Ohio State and then played for field goals in a game where they had no shot to stop the other team's offense. And that was apparent from the start and i just think like ryan day talks so much about you got to be aggressive you got to be aggressive you got to be aggressive and it's easier to be aggressive when you're coming from where he's coming from with a superior talent advantage but you have to coach that way if you're michigan and they don't they have not in the last 2 years i don't think and and maybe they're probably not as well coached on the whole because they make some mistakes and maybe that's the pressure of the moment and then certainly they feel more pressure in these games than ohio state does with the way things have gone lately but it's in my mind it's not just talent I don't know I don't know what happened or or maybe it was the read was all along, wrong on the long on Jim Harbaugh. I don't think he can handle this. I think he's a good coach and winning double digit games at Michigan is nothing to sniff at. When he gets into these games against Ohio State, he looks like he forgets how to coach football.
2: Yeah, I mean yeah, I I I've got a, lot, a few rants up my sleeve here, but before I get to them let me just cool down a little bit. <laughs> um, let me remind you guys again: this four to six with A and B. Um, this is Cyber Monday, which sounds a lot more fun than it is. And um, you get cheap
1: pants sometimes.
2: I don't. Yeah, we talked about this Black Friday. Just show me a good deal. Um, we have two promotions at the Athletic this week cyber week gift deal Buy one one year subscription 39.99 or two years 79.99 um and get a free t-shirt and that's until december 6th sure it's pretty sweet i want an athletic shirt bill and i can't even i don't have I i don't have access to the athletic swag department yeah i would even get this shirt we can't get it this is how exclusive you guys get the shirt we can't even have the shirt and then we also have a cyber monday deal 66 percent off it appears on the website and uh, on paywalls for non-subscribers and uh, 66% off is always good. So um, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. We appreciate you here. This is the free episode. Everybody in the world is listening um, on Everybody. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, anyone else on uh, another platform. Google. Google. If you're listening, please rate, subscribe, and review. We'd love to keep you around. Bill, I've been thinking all weekend. Gosh, how fortunate is it for Ohio State Or Michigan, excuse me, to go into the locker room with those three points before halftime. 28-16, man. You feel like you're right in it. That is exactly the epitome of everything you just said, in my opinion. Yeah. You're down by two scores. You're moving the ball. The previous play before that, Donovan Peoples-Jones just dropped a touchdown, but he was open. Shea Patterson put it in there. It could have been a score. Good throw. Great throw. You're feeling yourself. You're moving the ball on Ohio State's defense unlike any other team has done all year and you line up to cut it from, what was it, 15 to 12? It was 28, uh, yeah. And you're kicking the ball back. It was to Ohio State in the third quarter, which, of course, promptly scored a touchdown on that drive. Mm-hmm. So it's just, to me, it's just like the team who plays scared doesn't win. And sometimes the lesser-talented team can make the other team scared by being a thorn in their side. And if, if Michigan scores a touchdown there... They go into the locker room feeling good, feeling like they can compete. Maybe it's a different football game. you know. And of course, Shea Patterson's yeah. fumble in the red zone didn't help them. But Michigan was, for at least two quarters, basically going toe-to-toe with Ohio State's offense and doing things to Ohio State's defense that hadn't been done to it this year.
1: Yeah. Maybe the fumble spooked them. I don't know. It yeah, I don't know what it, it should was. should not have, but maybe that's what it was.
2: Whatever happened, that decision to kick a field goal there was the waving of the white flag, in my opinion. And at halftime, anybody who was in the press box who would talk to me... Um, right heard about it. I thought it was the most ludicrous decision to kick a field goal I've seen against Ohio State all year, and we've watched coaches kick terrible field goals against Ohio State for 12 weeks.
1: So um, yeah, It was fourth and goal from the five, and they kicked a 23-yard field goal. Yep.
2: It's nuts. It doesn't even change it from a two-score game to a one-score game. And I get it. Field goals and high scoring games might be the difference at the end. Whatever. Yada, yada, yada. yada, But if you
1: think, like, like we talked about Penn State, like, where Ryan Day played a conservative against Penn State when it was pretty clear that his defense had things covered, Michigan's defense didn't have things covered. Ohio State could have run the ball for 500 yards that game if it wanted to. You needed to score touchdowns if you wanted any chance of winning that game, or at least try to score touchdowns.
2: Playing Ohio State, who is number six in total uh, offense and number one in total defense in a field position field goal game is a recipe for a blowout. Yeah. Anybody who plays that way will lose by 100. I don't care. Unless you're Clemson, Alabama, or maybe Alabama's off that list now since they're bye-bye in the playoff discussion. But LSU, anybody who Ohio State could end up playing, um, you're going to lose. That's it. There's no – the second they kick that field goal, I should have started writing my story. <laughs> oh, actually, my story was about Justin Fields almost –
1: It's a good thing you didn't because then Justin Fields made the craziest uh, play of the year.
2: Yeah. So, you know, the one thing that I I was talking to my friend Tim, we talked about it um, on the way home on Saturday, and maybe this is just a media person thing. So you tell me if it's just me being a reporter. Mm -hmm. But there is something about the way Jim Harbaugh doesn't take responsibility verbally in his post conferences post game news conferences that makes me feel some type of way about him. Yeah it, it irritates me that you can ask legitimate real questions that the fans deserve the answers to and he just has three word answers like we played hard or they played harder or they played better or we tried. And then he doesn't talk to the media at all until the bowl game. Then he buries his head in the stand till spring, and maybe talks once in the spring. And then all of a sudden, it's August, and the in the Michigan's Big Ten champ, championship favorites again. It's just like, is there a responsibility as a person to offer some sort of insight into what's occurring here, or do you just continue to slide by these shots that everybody's taking without ever really owning up to them? And I don't know if yeah. that's just like a reporter, like answer the question, man. Or if it's a thing where Michigan fans are like, I would like to know what's going on with my program. Because they don't have a clear identif- identifiable plan. The recruiting is off off the charts in terms of where they're going. Nobody knows what they're doing. What is Michigan's plan? What is going wrong? How can they a- acquire talent at a higher level? But how can they even attempt to do it? I don't think even the reporters who cover the team, like we know, what's Ohio State's plan, Bill, in the recruiting game? To start in Ohio, take the best players in Ohio, branch out, and then go wherever you can go to, to top off the class. Like we, as reporters, know Ohio State's plan; it's on the first page, and everybody likes talking about it. We know the plan to win. We know what they want to do offensively. We want to know. There's a lot of discussion about everything at Ohio State and Michigan. I don't even know if you can identify their freaking plan.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't. I don't think you can. And you know, there are probably people out there who are a little mixed on this because. Nobody is obligated in sports to talk to, to us, talk to reporters, talk to the media, especially college sports. I think in pro sports might be in their contract, and some some of them. Um, college coaches, college athletes do not have to talk to us. So I pause a little bit from time to time to go down this road because I don't want to seem like entitled because we are very fortunate to be in a position we are to have these jobs to talk to people we get to talk to. But on the other side of that, I do think if you are a fan and you invest your time and your money into a program, into multiple teams, whatever it is, you want to know the answers to those questions, and Jim Harbaugh does not provide them ever. It's not even about being frustrated if you're someone like us doing your job trying to get information and write stories and gain some insight. It's about fans like being on top of and being in tune with the team that they love, and it just seemed like it'd be impossible at Michigan, and even beyond that, like you said, it comes off as passing the buck on the something else. His, his answers after Ohio State destroys his team again are not like, we need to do this, this, and this better. It's like, oh, they played better. It's like, okay, I get you're pissed off. You lost. You got embarrassed again by your rival against a team nobody thinks you can beat. I understand that. I know it's not easy to sit there and, ask, and answer those questions. You get paid a lot of money to do it. Seven and
2: a half million a year.
1: Yeah, but it's still difficult. I'm not going to pretend like it's not difficult, no, but, but most other coaches in the country man up and answer them when they have to answer them. Harbaugh does not, and he comes off as passing the blame on the other people, without taking any of himself, and it all comes back on him.
2: He also doesn't answer questions in non
1: he doesn't answer anything,
2: in ever. in non fired up press conferences after his team loses either. Like I don't think you could even write a feature story about an athlete on their team because he can't communicate about it. That's a a separate thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't just say, hey, how's your running back coming along without him going? He's he's trying hard. And that's the answer. I mean, you know how we write insightful stories, Bill? Because people talk to us. If everybody just answered questions like that, I would never have to get to write a story again. So, I I just, to me, it's a lot easier to criticize him when they're losing. And I get that it's probably, he looks miserable. I'll give you that. He Mm -hmm. looks miserable up there. And he is. And I don't I don't doubt that he wants to win the game or that he has a passion for the understanding of winning the game. The reason why Mitch you...
1: you do? I mean, the reason we, why... we had a kind of conversation with Nick Baumgartner about it last week and Nick was like very adamant that he does. There's nothing about the way that he presents himself that suggests that. And I know that you can be different behind closed doors than you can be publicly. I don't buy it. I don't buy. I think I almost feel like he's he's given up on trying to beat Ohio State the way his team's played the last two years the way they've coached that game knowing they're at a talent disadvantage knowing how you have to play to have any shot to win that's
2: more brutal than anything i wrote
1: i don't maybe it's too harsh
2: i don't you know no I, I know i'm just saying that, that i mean that is because if that's the case then fire him
1: i mean that's it he's not fit for the job i don't well I, I i've never been it's always hard because we don't know what michigan's standard is and it's i don't know if it's fair to hold it up to ohio state or not cuz ohio state is clearly different and he's done a good job there. Like I said, he's won 10 games, and, and any coach that wins 10 games is a good coach. But ultimately, it comes down to this. like At some point, Michigan should be contending for Big Ten championships at the very least, and they can't get there unless they can beat Ohio State. And I don't think he can beat Ohio State. So go find somebody who can, or who at least try to.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I think every time you and I talk about we don't know what Michigan's standard is, I think we do. If Michigan standard was higher, he wouldn't be coasting on uh, in Pleasantville right now. I mean, zero yeah. five against Ohio State and behaving the way that he's behaved for a large portion of his his tenure there. Could you imagine another if coach that wasn't Jim Harbaugh and just had nobody, uh, some other person's name who jumped into the situation, started talking shit on Twitter, <laughs> said really weird things in press conferences, attacked the other school, his rival school's athletic director and then went 0-5 against the rival, um, choked in every big game imaginable, 2-10 against top-10 opponents, and can walk into the offseason going into season 6 and not have to fear for
1: his job. This is Michigan Standard. It's a pretty unbelievable situation.
2: Michigan Standard is win 10 games, maybe put yourself in a position to compete with Ohio State, but if you lose, it's no big deal. How long can this continue? What if he's 0 and 10? I'm not even being funny. I don't know if he can win in the next five years.
1: I don't really see any reason why it would be. I think this is crazy to even project this far. I don't really see no. any reason why it'd be different next year because of Justin Fields. If you want to look farther down the line, like, I don't know, maybe Ohio State's I think you offense could be a little worse off than it is right now. I
2: think that you can project safely for like the next three or five years. Yeah. You so can't go beyond five. So then we're
1: saying, like, oh, just wait till year nine, boys. We'll get them then. Like, what are we doing?
2: Well, I just based on talent, you know, <laughs> no, based no, on the recruiting rankings, like it's happening. You're just gonna it's like, it's, it's not going to happen next year.
1: I would, I would not guess that it happens next year. No,
2: at home with Justin Fields, a sophomore, and their nine five-star wide junior. receivers
1: running all over the field. Yeah. or did I say
2: sophomore? Yeah, junior yeah. year. But I don't know. We we've kind of gone a little bit off. The, I just think that it's no longer feels like a rivalry to me.
1: Yeah, but I also think like you and I, I get a little fired up about this because I think it's fun to talk about. Like, we like Ohio State fans love it. Like, we I think we need to acknowledge that too. Like, Ohio State fans, I think, would we'll be perfectly fine with Jim Harbaugh coaching at Michigan in perpetuity. Um, well, they love they listening about
2: Michigan sucking too, right? I yeah, mean, I, I yeah. just,
1: but we're coming from a place where like we'd like to see Michigan be a little better because it'd be more entertaining for us. I think Ohio State fans are perfectly fine winning by 30. You want to hear a fun fact as we get the metrics on our stories?
2: My final thoughts from Michigan where the first 10 out of 30 are, like, long, big, bulky paragraphs about how I feel about Michigan. This story got read twice as much than any story that didn't go national on Athletic this year for me. Like, it was a Team Ohio State-only story, and it got read twice as much as anything I've written, including a 4,000-word feature where I went to New Hampshire to write about Ryan Day and where he came from.
1: That's a good story, by the way. You should go check it out.
2: Thanks, Bill. You helped me edit it in Panera once. I did. Um... So yeah, I guess now we'll talk about Ohio State's real rivals because that 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 game's a joke now, in yeah. my opinion. Let
1: me ask you, like coming I wrote about this on Monday morning. It's on the Athletic um now. If you're listening to this, you can go read it. And I sort of addressed it in what I wrote. What is your level of concern about what Michigan did do to Ohio State's defense going into now like forget Wisconsin, Clemson L S U, Oklahoma, even Utah's got yeah. a pretty good offense, like What's, I don't know how concerned should Ohio State fans be about? What happened, do you think? You know, throughout this entire year, people would be like, "What about the
2: pass pro?" And they'd start nitpicking things.
1: Mm.
2: and it's just like, can't another de- another team be good or another team do good things sometimes? Like it's not a rational standard to me to expect Ohio State to have the number one defense and the number one offense in the country and not allow any good things to happen for the other team, you know? And I do think that they did, like Shea Patterson, when pressured, um, has kind of been an erratic player this year, and I thought that he kind of sliced up Ohio State in the first half. Guys were getting open. It seemed like they had uh, crossing routes and things that were, were springing open. I do think that Michigan has a pretty solid group of receivers. I do believe that Sean Wade was out, and these aren't excuses. And I also think that Michigan did a very, very good job of containing um, Chase Young, which I thought was going to wreak havoc. I, I thought that he was going to have three or four sacks in that game. Shea Patterson was going to fumble it or throw picks. But he, uh, other than getting bear-hugged on Michigan's second touchdown, yeah. really— didn't seem to have much of an impact. And I don't know what the actual – I have to go back and watch it again, but the actual plan to do that was. But to me, I think finding a team that could contain Chase Young was more of a red flag to me than some of the plays that were given up in the secondary. And I think that the reason why those plays were so hard to hit all year was because Chase Young was in the backfield causing the quarterback to lose his mind before those crossing routes even sprung open. So, like, I want to know, like, what Michigan did to chip off, like, running backs chipping them off or what, yeah. like, they were doing because that is the key to this season. And that's why when he was suspended and you and I were sitting in this room talking about can Ohio State win a national championship still if he's out for the year? And I said, no, it's because that's the impact that he has. And, yep. again, you got to put some ownership on the defensive backs. and But does Michigan have a collection of three of the best wide receivers Ohio State's faced all year? They do, right? Yeah. yeah, And they made plays. And the best quarterback. And then in the second half, they
1: they shut it down? Yeah. So Shea Patterson was 14 of 18 for 250 yards in the first half, and then he was 4 of 22 for 55 yards in the second half. And the, the big change that Ohio State made was just playing a lot more man coverage in the second half than they played in the first half. Um, I agree with you. I, th- I think that if you take anything away from what the defense did against Michigan, it should be that Ohio State had a pretty hard time generating a pass rush in a game where a team consistently dedicated extra bodies to Chase Young in a way that other opponents have not done this year. And and that was an issue because Shea Patterson did have quite a bit of time to throw, especially in the first half, and then they, they started blitzing and doing some other stuff to, to get some pressure in the second half. But I, I take that more than anything else. Moving forward, I think they got to find ways to move Chase around a little bit more, stand him up, play him at linebacker like he did against Wisconsin, find ways to get him one-on-one because he is that impactful. Um What's kind of crazy is Michigan had 396 yards of total offense, which is not that high of a number. It's just the first time Ohio State's given up more than 300 yards all year. Last year, 396 yards would have been tied for the fifth fewest yards they allowed at any point all season. There were nine teams they played last year who got more yardage than that. They're half the country this year allows more yardage than that on average. It's that's, just That's crazy. It's just that Ohio State has been so good defensively that anything – more than 300 yards feels like a ton, and it feels like the defense completely broke apart. I'll say again, Sean Wade's absence was very important. There were guys playing out of position um, or playing in, in bigger roles than maybe they're ready for because Sean Wade was out there, and there were mix-ups in their in their zone defense because it's not an easy thing to master. They played man to man in the second half; they got a little better. I think they're fine. I don't think it's a giant red flag. I know some like I, people will take last week or two weeks ago against Penn State. And what Michigan did against Ohio State's defense is, like, see, they're not as good as we thought they were. And, like, maybe that's true because everyone thought they were the flawless best team in the country and every team has flaws. But I didn't come out of the Michigan going, oh, man, their past defense is what we thought it was. I think they get Sean Wade back. They're fine.
2: And you wrote a story earlier this year about how Sean Wade's the most important player on
1: the defense. I couldn't remember if I wrote it. I, I don't know if you wrote it. it. I definitely has questions, questions about it. So I included some of it in what, what I wrote What do you about remember it? about it? I think that that's an interesting thing to discuss because yeah. you're the resident
2: X's and O's guys. Bill was walking around asking – Questions to players and coaches on and off the record About whether or not he was the most important player in their defense And I think the general consensus was that he is
1: The consensus was like nobody would say like Yes, Sean Wade is the most important player on the defense But they would say that like Sean Wade's position Is the most important position on the defense Which is the exact same thing They just don't want to put it all on one guy Um, They want to play with one high safety They want to play with with four down linemen and three linebackers Two of those linebackers dedicated to to the run almost all the time And then you have Pete Werner and Sean Wade who are right there Ready to help you defend the run, and that's what Greg Madison wants to do first and foremost is stop the run. And that's why they played with four linebackers at times against Michigan, even though it seemed crazy. Um, and Sean Wade is very versatile. He can he can cover like a corner, he can play in the box like a safety and a linebacker. And those players are hard to come by. Um, he gets compared to Minka Fitzpatrick. I think that's a pretty fair comparison. Maybe he's not quite as good as Minka was when he was at Alabama, but I think the potential's there. Don't forget, like we're not Sean Wade was a five-star, very highly rated player. It just took him a minute to get on the field. But now that he's on the field, he's showing why he was a five-star prospect. He is. He, I don't know if he's the best player. He's not the best player in defense because of Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. But I think he's the most important player because of what he can do in that nickel corner role. The end. When you
2: look at his body, just with him walking around without his pads on, you wouldn't think he could play that way.
1: Yeah, and that's that's him that's, bigger. He had to get, he had to get yeah. bigger to play there. Yeah, He's, he's pretty uh, Which s- is
2: sinewy. It's what you can really look and tell, hey, this is why this kid's five stars. Because,
1: yeah, I want to look up. He's, he's listed as. Uh, he weighs less than what? Sean weighs at 6'1, 194 is what he's listed at. I want to see what Minka Fitzpatrick's listed as. Not Minka Kelly, Minka Fitzpatrick. I need to look up Minka Kelly's height and weight. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is, yeah, he's he's a little bigger. He's like 210, but same height. I
2: thought Minka Fitzpatrick was a little thicker than him. Yeah. Fun fact my first recruiting call at cleveland.com was to Minka Fitzpatrick. Did he answer? Yeah, nice. The first uh, story I wrote at Cleveland.com about recruiting was a recruiting update about Minka Fitzpatrick. I just thought you should know that.
1: That's history. Quick break here to talk to you guys about Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction is never easy. Usually guys just brush it off or blame themselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or they avoid the topic altogether. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication... It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com AB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com AB to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash AB for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash AB. Do you think
2: that Wisconsin has any chance?
1: I think was th- the only chance Wisconsin would have would be born out of Ohio State being a little worn down from playing Penn State and Michigan before this game. Um, Otherwise, no, it's like they're they gave up like eight yards per play against Nebraska and almost 300 rushing yards. I think their defense was the defensive numbers before they played Ohio State were crazy and they've leveled out and everyone has been sort of been able to do what Ohio State did for the most part since that game, at least in terms of yards per play. The offense is the offense. I know that Jack Cohn was was throwing that thing around up in the snow in, in Minneapolis uh, over the weekend. I don't know if I see that against Ohio State. So, no. I, th- I think the spread's 15-and-a-half. I, I would be inclined to take Ohio State the cover. I think the only way they don't cover is if they are truly beat up a little bit. Or if Sean Wade doesn't play, but I think he will. Damon Arnett might not play. Um Justin Fields will play, but clearly he's got a knee injury that's worth monitoring. And but didn't seem to limit him much, so I would feel pretty comfortable about Ohio State covering. Yeah, I don't know that I'd pay, I'd play it. I'd probably stay away from it only because like a like I think fatigue is real and emotional letdown coming off of beating Michigan. Like Ryan Day was crying on the field after they won that game. Now Ohio State has come down from that, won the Big Ten title game before. Um, so it's not, the, like, it's not a new experience for them. But I would probably stay away from it, too, just because there are a lot of other like extenuating circumstances that could impact it. Like Justin Fields' leg? Like Justin Fields' sprained MCL. What would your plan be with him? Quick pass game. Um, maybe mi- mix in a ha- just, just a handful of runs to keep Wisconsin honest and show you're willing to do it. Um, quick pass game. Don't expose him to that pass rush and – you know, win it, win it, whatever way you have to win it doesn't matter. You're already in the playoff.
2: Yeah, I feel like if they get a any comfortable lead at any point in time, um,
1: pull them. I think if you're up three scores, pull them because I don't think Wisconsin's built to come back from that. Yeah, and I think they could get up three scores. You know, they're they're the weather. Like you, I think you mentioned last week, the weather impacted the first half of that game. Second half, they figured out a way and they they pounded them. It wasn't close. Um this it won't be an option like Ohio State might be able to jump on them the first three drives and then pull Justin Fields.
2: Yeah, I just I, don't, I just don't see where Wisconsin changes things. I think it's very tough to beat the same thing twice, same team twice in the same year, Bill. But I also don't know if they're physically up to it, regardless of whether or not Sean Wade is the most important player on the
1: team. Yeah, and it's also not it's not totally foreign territory for Ryan Day either. Like he was in the NFL for a couple years. They played the same team twice all the time. I think that'd be an interesting story this week, actually. Yeah, he talked a little bit about it. He did a a conference call on Sunday, and he mentioned that a little bit. And like Jeff Halfley was in the NFL too. Greg Madison spent time in the NFL. Like it's rare. I don't think Ohio State has played the same team twice in the same year since the UCLA, and I think it was '75. Played in the regular season and that played in the Rose Bowl. I looked it up the other day. I, yeah, I looked lost up,
2: the second time after beating the crap out of them the first right, time. Yeah. Right,
1: right. Um, I think that was the last time. So it's rare that it happens in college, but it's not and a, now with a, these a Big new, Ten
2: championship yeah. games with the crossovers. I think it's going to happen more and more often. It's been happening <clears throat> in other conferences too.
1: It's interesting that Ohio State has managed to avoid it as much as it's played in the Big Ten championship.
2: Yeah, because the Big Ten West is so dysfunctional. You never know who's going to come out of it. Yeah. Bill, can I ask you a pointed question? I need you to be honest with me. Yep. Are you a candidate for the BC job?
1: You know, I didn't I didn't want to uh, tell you like this, but I'm actually taking the job. Yeah. This is my last podcast.
2: He had some weird body language in the car ride home yesterday. Yeah. I had a feeling. Yeah. There was one moment where he was driving and his phone rang, Boston area code, and he pulled over and talked on the highway. Was, Everybody on Ohio State staff is a candidate for the... Uh, According to multiple reports, the Boston College job, which I think is ironic because Ryan Day coached there. uh, But Al Washington is one. He played there. Jeff Halfley is another one because he's going to be a head coaching candidate for every vacant coaching job in America until he leaves inevitably after next year. Bill, how much do you take into account all this stuff?
1: It's also worth noting that uh, the athletic director at Boston College is Martin Jarmond, who was a deputy athletic director at Ohio State and left uh, two years ago. He used to be the athletic director for football. He helped with football scheduling. He was very close with Gene Smith, and he's one of Gene's former lieutenants who's now out there running their own athletic department. Um, so that's another Ohio State connection. I uh, would probably not have considered Al Washington a real head coaching candidate um, until this job came up. And there was a report, I believe, from a writer from the Boston Globe who said that Al Washington is the preferred candidate. We don't know that. like We're just we're just talking about it because it's interesting. I think that would be a really interesting hire for Boston College. I like Al Washington a lot. He's got a lot of charisma about him. I think he's a smart guy. I think his players love playing for him. Um, he's pretty young. How old is he? Is he 30? 30, 35, I 35? think. 35, yeah. Um, that's pretty young for a head coach. There have been younger head coaches. That's, oh, that's like, it's like 61. That's not, that's not the right person. Um, Yeah, 35 years old. Pretty young for a head coach, pretty young for a head coach taking a power five job if he were to get offered it, but I can certainly see why he'd be a, a intriguing candidate for Boston College. The, the other part of that report that was interesting, and again it's just a report, was that if Al Washington went there or if he's a preferred candidate, the preference would be for him to bring Don Brown with him back to Boston College. Um, which would be interesting because like defensive coordinator at Michigan is unquestionably a better job than defensive coordinator at Boston college. But you know, you don't have to play if you're the Boston, if you're defensive coordinator at Boston college, Ryan day. I also heard it's
2: not particularly easy to work for Harbaugh either.
1: I I mean, with the conversation we had at the beginning of this podcast, I can't imagine how it would be, um. So we'll see. We'll, I mean, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. Ryan Day, like they have this two year thing, and, and I think Ryan Day would prefer that, but he's also never going to stop a guy from getting a head coaching job, particularly a Power Five head coaching job. Um, my, my hunch all along has been that Jeff Halfley would stay uh, for two years. And I think all these guys would probably prefer to stay for two years. And Jeff Halfley is going to be a candidate all the time for jobs this year and jobs next year. And I don't know if there's one that he has high on his wish list or not. Um, but B.C., I think, could be a good job. And, and Halfley's name was mentioned with Rucker before they figured things out with Shiano and got him hired. His name will come up other places because he's a pretty he's, – he's one of the hotter coordinator candidates. Um, but if I'm, if, if I'm Al Washington and B.C. actually wants him, I think it would be pretty hard to say no.
2: I'm trying to find a comment on uh, one of my um, stories – or one, one of the comments on the story on Saturday, but I, this is a good segue to talk about that bill. In comparing Ohio State's infrastructure, support staff, um, strength coach, player personnel director, assistant coaches, I, com- I I said that Ohio State has better all of that than Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I know that is because we had a long conversation with Nick Baumgartner about all this stuff before and after the game um, on Saturday. But one of the commenters said, do you want to know how Ohio State falls? The loss of infrastructure, assistance, Urban Meyer takes another job, and... You know, he takes Mark Pantoni, maybe, he takes Mickey Marotti, and I know this is like a hot-button issue for fans who are pretty wound up about this, but one major part about being a head coach is being able to endure the loss of assistance. It's huge. and It's know, the
1: second most important thing to recruiting.
2: Yeah, and having the right people in positions, not, not only coach up your team and share the philosophy of the head coach in terms of how to get this team ready to play on Saturdays, but somebody who's a good fit in recruiting, somebody who can go get plugged into the territories. Because now Washington is really deep in Ohio, in recruiting Ohio. Yeah.
1: you know If he went to Boston College, he would recruit Ohio. Yeah.
2: And he was the guy who recruited Ohio in the very little that, you know, Michigan did last year uh, trying to get Zach Harrison. So, like, these are the types of tests that Ryan Day hasn't had to face yet as Ohio State's head coach. And now that you're in December of a year where – uh, they're the number six offense, the number one defense in the country. This is going to be an annual tradition, unlike more, no other. Maybe a better tradition than the Michigan game.
1: Better than okay. the Masters? Yeah. On CBS? No. Okay. I want to go there so bad. Hello, friends.
2: What is your confidence level? Um, Ryan Day gets a passing grade, obviously, because he hired these two guys, and they're already being considered for other jobs, according Mm -hmm. to reports. And I think everybody knew that Halfley was going to be a head coach five minutes after he walked into the building. I think that you and I can get a sense really, really quickly whether or not an assistant has that it factor, and Halfley always did. Um, And then, of course, the results panned out. So do you you believe that Ryan Day has the ability to continue that type of trend in hiring when and if – it happens this year, and eventually, when it happens in the future, to continue to keep Ohio State in a position to, you know, dominate the way they've been dominating.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think I would trust him. He seems pretty sharp. Um, I think he's aware of how important that is. He was at Florida in 2005. He's he's maintained relationships with people from that staff, and I think he at the and he knows Dan Mullen obviously. Um, I think he is at the very least aware of how South things went for Urban when Urban started losing a lot of his top guys at Florida, and he was hired at Ohio State in 2017 because Urban had made bad hires and bad staff decisions leading up to that. So he's aware of all of it. He's aware of of the pitfalls when when you get into these kind of situations. doesn't guarantee that he'll make the right decision. The thing that I'm curious about, and and he wouldn't say this because I already volunteered the information, but like these were obvious hires for him. He said that he always knew he would hire Jeff Halfley when he, when he finally got the chance to put together his own staff. He was a coach at BC when Al Washington played there. These guys have a longstanding relationship. He knows Greg Madison from back when he was at Florida. I'm sure urban had a lot of influence in that too. So, you know, maybe there were other guys out there that he might've had higher on his list, but in the end he, he ended up with guys that he knew for a long time, guys that he trusted guys that he knew that were in, in line with his vision for the program. Eventually, you run out of those guys. I think Urban ran out of those guys, and we saw what happened. Ryan Day's young. Um, He's not been coaching as long. Maybe he's got more names on his list. Ohio State is a very attractive place to work, obviously. I think he'd be okay going through it this first time, but I'm not going to tell you it's a guarantee. I I I would trust his decision-making because it it seems to have led him to the right places thus far, but it's not an easy thing. So if he does end up losing Al Washington or Jeff Halfley or both – very big deal, very big deal. I don't know. I don't know if it's too much to say that those would be the two possible biggest losses he could incur on his staff. I know Larry, jo- like Larry Johnson, if he leaves it because he would retire. I think that's a little different, and maybe you prepare for that in some way because you can kind of see it coming a little bit. If you lose Jeff Halfley and now Washington, and it's a little unexpected, it's a tough situation. Yeah, Halfley for sure, right? I think both. I, like, I think it's weird. Jeff Halfley's name gets men- – I think I might have said this before. Jeff Halfley's name gets mentioned in all these job-posting ca- candidate lists, and deservedly so. I think he's a good coach. But, like, Ohio State did not go from wherever they were 60th and or 70th in total defense to number one or number four, whatever they are now only because of jeff halfley he had a huge hand in it obviously but so did greg madison and so did al washington and the th- biggest thing in my opinion that's improved with this team last this year is it's linebacker play and al washington and greg madison coach the linebackers and now and washington i think has his hands on it a little more than greg madison does it would be a big loss it'd be, it'd be a very, very important position to fill for this defense if he were if he were to leave
2: a lot of the things that ryan day had to continue on were put in place When you're the head coach, you know, you've got recruiting momentum, Ohio State's results in putting kids in the NFL is basically unparalleled between, you know, them and some small fraction of the rest of the sport. But this is the type of thing that the coach has his hands in. This is the type of thing where a coach can decide whether or not he can continue on on the trajectory of the program by making pointed decisions by putting people in power. And the thing that Urban Meyer, I think, changed the most from Florida to Ohio State, other than the the kids that he recruited, was allowing power to his assistants and trusting them to do things on their own and to be their own boss and to, you know, do things. And, of course, you know the stories about how Urban would freak out in recruiting meetings and, you know, all the things that he did. But these guys have a lot of responsibility, and I don't think people really realize how important assistants are. And the decision to go get them is huge. So, you know...
1: I don't think, uh, yeah. College football assistant coaches make a lot of money, and sometimes they make a laughable amount of money. But they are important. Because we've seen what happens when you mess one up.
2: At Ohio State. Yeah. Specifically. Bill, let's get into playoff talk. You want to get into playoff talk?
1: Yeah, where do you want to go? We've got a few minutes left.
2: Is Ohio State a lock?
1: Yeah, I think they're a lock. I think they're a lock. Like U- Utah's got pretty good metrics, but their schedule sucks, um, and it doesn't help them that even, that Oregon, if they beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, will have had two losses. I think Ohio State's metrics are better than Oklahoma's. If it came down to that conversation, the only the only potential roadblock, like I said before, would be Georgia beating LSU. But even if that were the case, and like uh, our buddy Max Olson for The Athletic wrote this this week, and I'm I I'm pretty much inclined to agree with him, I don't think it's 100%, but I think it's close to it, that LSU and Ohio State are in no matter what. I think that's true. I don't think Clemson's in no matter what. I think if Clemson were to lose to Virginia, they could be out. Just because of, its, because of the schedule it's played. But I think Ohio State is pretty safely in, barring a blowout against Wisconsin. What do you think?
2: I think that they're in no matter what. Unless they lose 100 to nothing. Um, they've already done that. Their their resume... I think that the committee is going to try to emphasize conference championships this year when that hasn't been the case in the past sometimes. But I do think that conference championships aren't as heavily weighted as people think they are. I think it's more so about eye test, more so about your defensive and offensive statistics, uh, who you've beaten, and of course, who you've lost to. And if Ohio State has Beaten Wisconsin already, and then ends up losing to them. I think that they will still get credit for beating them, right?
1: I I would assume. Yeah, I think so. So, I think think it helps them that they're playing Wisconsin and not Minnesota. Because if Minnesota had one loss and beat Ohio State, Minnesota, they'd be the
2: team that goes, and they're going to take the Big Ten representative. So, you know, that's the case there. Um, I think the more interesting conversation, more so than whether or not Ohio State's going to get in, is where they should play and who you think Ohio State's best matchup in the playoff is to advance to the next round. And I know that you and I aren't really top-to-bottom experts on some of the other teams that we don't cover, but to me it's like, what's the best-case scenario for Ohio State in trying to get to the national title game? Being the number one seed playing in Atlanta against Utah?
1: I think I—yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't really know who I—I I guess I'd rather play Utah than, than Oklahoma. Utah's defense is pretty good. Oklahoma's is better but not great. Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's is
2: better than last year, not better than Utah's.
1: Better Oklahoma's yeah. defense is better than last year's defense. It's like it's gone from like awful to like middle of the pack, which is still a good turnaround for Alex Grinch, but
2: every team that I've seen watched play Oklahoma in the last few weeks has moved the ball on them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'd rather play Utah than Oklahoma. I mean, the, the, I mean, either one of them is better than playing Clemson, for sure.
2: I think it's big, and I thought it was hilarious because last week I was talking about Alabama and the playoff call thing that I do on Tuesday nights, and I said, you all know in your hearts that you would much rather play Utah or Oklahoma than Alabama, and everybody was like, no way, no way. I'd much rather play Alabama than Utah. And I like, are you crazy? Or are you just trying to talk yourself out of the fact that Ohio State might get matched up with that team. You know, now it's no longer a case because Alabama lost to Auburn on Saturday and is now out of the playoff discussion. But I think that people try to convince themselves of things to try to avoid the reality that that would have been the hardest matchup to face. And yeah. I think that Ohio State could beat Alabama. I think Alabama's defense was not Alabama's defense that we've come to know, which was clear in the Auburn game. But they threw two pick sixes and should have won on the road against their rival. Uh, missed a field goal at the end of the game. I, I just think that Ohio State does not want to see a team that has that much talent if it can avoid it. Yeah. I don't think Utah. Where's Utah on the talent index? I'm very curious. Have we looked that up yet? Oh, Look right. that up. These eyes. You know, because I, I think Utah's a very good team, but I don't think Utah has seen a team as good as Ohio State in like a decade. Like, when's the last time Utah played a team this good?
1: Utah is 47th. One spot behind Minnesota. Is that... Two spots ahead of Northwestern. That
2: is the lowest, I'm assuming, of any team that's in this discussion, right? Mm. Oklahoma? Yeah,
1: Oklahoma's eighth. Clemson is ninth. Um, LSU is fifth. Georgia's third. Ohio State's two. Alabama's one. Clemson yeah. being ninth makes my head hurt. We were talking about this with Andy Staples when we were talking in the press box before the game. Like, Clemson has won two national titles but is only just now starting to recruit like it.
2: And now has Will beat Ohio State's 2017 record for best class in the history of recruiting. And like for as much as we like to talk about how Ohio State's wide receivers in the future are stacked, and they certainly are, with Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba's coming and you know some of the other guys that are in this class, LSU has three of the top eight receivers in America committed in their recruiting class for next year.
1: Yeah, Clemson has six five-stars, LSU has three, Bama has three, Ohio State has two. Um, Clemson's average player rating is nearly a full point better than just about everybody but Georgia. Georgia's a little closer. It's a pretty big class. 20 commits, six five-stars. That's impressive. Um, Real quickly, I want to go back to... What you said about conference championships, because in terms of the playoff committee, I think it's just good to remind people of what they think or what the, what the committee says about championships. Um, it does say, like, under the protocols, like the first sentence under the protocols is to establish a committee that will be instructed to place an emphasis on winning conference championships, strength of schedule, and head-to-head competition. We're comparing teams with similar records and pedigree. And then at the bottom it says uh, – Where is it? Something along the lines of taking, taking conference championships into account when teams are viewed as similar. So I think it's important to note that when we talk about the potential of Ohio State losing to Wisconsin that we don't think will happen, but if it does happen and we think they're going to get in, it's because they still will not be viewed as similar to anybody else yep. in the conversation. It's a good distinction. Except to for maybe Georgia, if again, if Georgia beats LSU. But I think the gap between Ohio State and Oklahoma and Utah and Baylor, if Baylor were to beat Oklahoma um, – is wide enough that it wouldn't matter that the the tiebreaker criteria wouldn't come into
2: play I agree completely so Ohio State's in a very good spot I think they need to keep Justin Fields healthy get him off the field the second they're up 21 points the Michigan rivalry is dead Clemson's recruiting like a juggernaut and you just read the top 10 um, in the 247 composite 2020 class so thank you for foreshadowing the next six years of college football playoff committee and am I missing
1: anything before I say awkwardly goodbye uh, no, I don't think so. We'll have uh, our Q&A podcast for subscribers later in the week. Um, I'll be out of town because I'm going to the basketball game at North Carolina on Wednesday, so that podcast like warning and advance will probably sound a little different than this one, um, but we'll get it done anyway. and I think that's it. Thanks so much for listening to 4 to 6 with A&B. We will catch
2: you on Friday.